0: the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus, as the four gospel writers record it, all their words brought together into a single account and reading. Uh, we have part three of six tonight, which is Jesus before the Sanhedrin. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders of the people. Judas was leading them. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas approached Jesus to kiss him and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? One of Jesus' companions, Simon Peter, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. No more of this. Put your sword back into its sheath, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? And he touched the man's ear and healed him. At that time Jesus said to the crowd, the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour, when darkness reigns. This has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. All of the disciples deserted him and fled. Then the detachment of soldiers, with its commander and the Jewish officials, arrested Jesus. They bound him and took him away. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They brought Jesus first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Then they took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law had assembled. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. One of the servant girls of the high priest on duty at the door came by. When she saw Peter seated there in the firelight warming himself, she looked closely at him and said, You also were with that Nazarene Jesus. Are you not one of this man's disciples? He replied, Girl, I am not. I don't know him. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Simon Peter went out into the entryway and the rooster crowed. A little later, when the servant girl again saw him there, she said to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. Again he denied it with an oath, I am not, I don't know the man. About an hour later another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Then Peter began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Just as he was speaking to rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him, Before the rooster crows today you will disown me three times. And he went outside, broke down, and wept bitterly. Now Annas had sent him still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple, where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus had said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is that any way to answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, speak up about it. But if I spoke the truth, why did you hit me? The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Finally, two came forward and declared, We heard him say, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days will build another not made by man. Yet, even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. I am, said Jesus. It is as you say, but I say to all of you, In the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ who hit you the men who were guarding Jesus began to mock and to beat him and to say many other insulting things to him. This is the word of our God. Grace and mercy and peace are yours from God our Father and from his Son, who in his unfathomable love sacrificed himself for our salvation, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Word of God we're focusing on tonight is recorded in Mark's Gospel, chapter fourteen. It's the account of Jesus being tried by the high priest, but that was actually just summarized for you a moment ago, the last part of our passion reading. So I won't reread it at this time. It was about thirty years ago, 1990, that a bulldozer was doing some land leveling work in the suburbs of South Jerusalem when the, the bulldozer that was excavating uncovered what turned out to have been an, an old burial chamber or cave of some kind. And when the workers realized this, they stopped immediately and called the Antiquities people because this is the sort of thing that happens once in a while in the Holy Land. They find these these ancient things. And so the archaeologists came and and discovered that, that what had been uncovered was some intact burials. And these were burials that had been the remains contained in some decorated bone boxes, or ossuaries, as they call them, one of those boxes was especially decorated and and ornately designed, and it also had on the box the name of the person whose bones were contained within, and the name on the box was Yosef bin Caiaphas. And today most scholars, not all, but most of them agree that the bones that were found in that box are those of the man who once presided over the trial of Jesus Christ that we know as the high priest Caiaphas, a real person. But as believers in the Bible, of course, we already knew that, didn't we? Well... Caiaphas lived when Jesus walked the earth. As I think you know, the Jews did not have their own kingdom at that time anymore. They had been conquered. They were ruled over by the Romans as part of the Roman Empire. But the Romans allowed the Jews to have quite a bit of latitude in in how they governed their own local affairs according to their law, which was really God's law, the law of Moses. And the, the leadership group, the ruling council of the Jews at that time, was known as the Sanhedrin and the leader of that group, and and really, at least theoretically, the leader of the entire worship life of the people of God was the high priest at the time of Jesus. It was this man, Caiaphas. But alas, Caiaphas and most of the other high priests of his day really were not primarily interested in, in being soul caretakers at all they were really more politicians they were more interested in in power and governments and control and influence rather than the the care of souls and, and Caiaphas was no exception to that in our sermon series this year that we call the hands of the passion therefore there can be no doubt that the hands of Caiaphas are really nothing more than hands of hypocrisy The real question is, could that same thing ever be said of you and me? Caiaphas's hypocrisy was on full display as we heard about that trial that I read to you a moment ago. Especially in the verse where it said, The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. All of you know very well that that is not proper judicial protocol. That is not the way a trial is supposed to work. You're not supposed to come up with the verdict first, before the trial starts, and then proceed through the trial looking for evidence that will justify the verdict that you already came up with in the first place. That, that's not how it's supposed to go. You're supposed to first listen to the testimony. You're supposed to let the evidence be be brought out, listening carefully to the prosecution, and then to the defense, and then judge or jury or whoever who's ever in charge of the case is supposed to make a, a fair and just decision based on that evidence. But the trial of Jesus Christ was not that way at all. The the outcome was predetermined before it ever began. They already had decided that, that Jesus had to die. And so that means that everything else that proceeded at that trial was really nothing but sheer hypocrisy. The witnesses that were called to testify, they were not genuine witnesses who were supposed to testify to the facts of the case so that justice could be done. No, the Bible clearly tells us they were false witnesses, either summoned or hired in order to concoct stories that would justify this verdict, because the Sanhedrin really had no evidence of their own that would justify a death sentence. But as you heard, God stepped in to make sure that the testimony of these false witnesses did not agree, and that was a problem, because according to the law of Moses, you had to have two witnesses agree on something in order to make a charge stick. Finally, two of them sort of almost agreed that they had remembered Jesus saying something like that, that he was going to destroy the temple of God and then in three days somehow rebuild it again. But you know very well that when he said that, Jesus was not talking about a a threat to destroy the physical house of God in Jerusalem. He was prophesying about himself. He was talking about his own death and his resurrection from the grave. And, And to make matters worse... We find out in, in later on in, in the Gospels that the chief priests and the Sanhedrin actually knew that. They knew that Jesus had predicted and prophesied that, that he was going to rise from the dead on the third day. And so when they pretend otherwise here, they're, they're just playing dumb. Again, nothing but, but total hypocrisy. And Caiaphas... Who was supposed to make sure that, that justice was done in, in his courtroom. He wasn't standing up for the truth. He wasn't protesting the, the mockery of the proceedings that was being made. No, he, he was in charge of it all. He was the one pulling the strings, the one in charge of a, a rigged trial headed for a rigged verdict. And so when Caiaphas asked Jesus that question finally, When he said, I charge you under oath, I want to know if if you really are the Christ, the son of the living God. That was not really a a sincere question at all either. This was hypocrisy. Caiaphas was not asking this question for information. So that he could really make up his own mind on on whether Jesus really was the Messiah. And and whether or not as high priest, therefore, he should be telling people that the Messiah had come. That, That was not why Caiaphas asked that question. It was nothing but entrapment, an attempt to try to justify him doing what he had no right to do, which was to to put an innocent man to death. And so when Jesus answered the question, and he told Caiaphas, yes, I am, and I tell you the truth, one day you will see that with your own eyes, because you will see me, the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, coming to judge all people with the glory of God and with his holy angels at the right hand of the Almighty Father. And when Caiaphas, in response to that, tore his robes in in horror at the blasphemy that that had been uttered in his presence, I, I dare say that Caiaphas was not horrified to hear Jesus say this at all. I think he was delighted in what he heard. Not that he believed it, even for a moment, but, but this was exactly what he had been hoping for. Here he'd been trying to come up with some way to justify putting Jesus to death, and now Jesus had just given him the easiest reason in the world. He had actually admitted to being the Messiah. Why, why this was such a, a huge admission that, that Caiaphas might even be able to make this stick in a Roman court. Maybe even Pontius Pilate would have to do something about this because if, if Jesus was admitting to being the Messiah, well, well, that made him a king of sorts. And, and even the Romans could be convinced that he had to die if, if he was claiming to be a, a king. But maybe we should back up just a moment and ask ourselves this question, why exactly was it that Caiaphas was so Determined to kill Jesus in the first place? What, what had Jesus done to, to make him hate him so much? Why were all these chief priests and, and Caiaphas, especially, so hell bent, literally, on executing him? We, we get a little more of the story, a little bit of the backstory, you could say, in, in one of the other Gospels, especially the, the Gospel of John, tells us a little more. John tells us about a meeting that was held before this, a meeting of the Sanhedrin, not too long beforehand. It was around the time that that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And the same chief priests gathered in advance to talk about what they were going to do about this Jesus problem. And in that book we hear them complaining, here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. And in that meeting, we're told, Canphus himself stood up and declared, Don't you realize that it is better that one man die than that the whole nation perish? Canphus ultimately only cared about himself. Canphus was concerned about his place, his authority, his honor. This is... My place and my nation, he and the other chief priests said. And and on some level, they thought Jesus was a threat to what they had. He was a threat because he was popular. And Caiaphas didn't want any of the people looking up to, to any other religious figure or leader more than they looked up to him. He wanted to be top dog. And Jesus was a threat to what he had because, at least... He claimed that, that with all of the crowds that were following Jesus, well, the, the Romans might say there's civil unrest, and, and they might blame him for it. The, the Romans might come and, and hold him to account. They might punish him. They might depose him. And, and that absolutely would not do in, in Caiaphas' mind. So even though the, the high priest and the other chief priests, they knew that Jesus did miracles. They didn't even try to deny that that was the case. Yet... Yet even that didn't matter. All that mattered to Caiaphas was his own power, his own prestige, his own glory and position, wealth and comfortable lifestyle that went along with it. If only he had listened to Jesus and and what really was Jesus' loving warning to him in those words. But there's no evidence that he ever did. And yet... The word that Jesus said to him is going to be fulfilled. One day, Caiaphas' earthly remains, which very well might have been found on a hillside in Jerusalem 30 years ago, wherever they are on the last day, those remains are going to be raised back to life, but only to physical life. Only so that he can see with his eyes, as Jesus predicted, everything that Jesus said coming true. That man that he once condemned as worthy of death, showing that he really was the Messiah, coming on the clouds of heaven, coming to judge all people, and to send Caiaphas away from him, away from God forever. Yes, the story of Caiaphas ultimately is a, a sad story on the pages of Scripture. But the real question is, what does God want you and me to learn and to think about from his story. Well, just as Caiaphas put himself forward as a religious leader, the most religious person of his day, the high priest, even though he was anything but that, really, you and I also put ourselves forward as the religious people of our day, don't we? We call ourselves Christians, and and we tell other people that, we are Christians. We, we go to church on Sundays and, and maybe even on a Wednesday night to boot. We post positive Christian and religious messages on Facebook and on our other social media accounts so that people will know that we are Christians. We, we might wear an inspirational T-shirt with a Bible verse or a, a Christian message. We wear a, a cross necklace or some other kind of, of jewelry like that. We show and portray ourselves to the world as, as religiously-minded people. And yet, the story of Caiaphas should remind us that all of that outward religiosity, if that's all that it is, is really good for nothing, if it's nothing but mere hypocrisy. The real question is, do we love Jesus enough to risk losing other things that are precious to us, or are we like Caiaphas that our real God is our own social status, our own wealth, our own comfortable lifestyle. Is Jesus fine in our lives as long as he doesn't get in the way of some of those other things? But as soon as he risks that, as soon as he gets in the way of our other goals, well, that is a part of our heart that wants to stay with KF as well, <laughs> then he's got to go. If, if following and believing in Jesus is going to cost me some money, if it's going to make me a, a little less desirable in certain social circles that I might want to be in. If following Jesus is going to force me to change the way I conduct some relationships in my life. If, if following Jesus is going to get in the way of my schedules. If it's going to cause me to, to risk my safety. Well then is there a, a part of your heart that wants to say with Caiaphas, well... That's just not going to work for me. Friends, don't let your hands, the hands that come here to worship, the hands that fold themselves in prayer, ever become hands of hypocrisy. Don't let the worship that you do here at Salem Lutheran ever be done just to look good, just to please others or satisfy the expectations of someone else, while in your heart your real God is yourself if you make preserving your own comfortable lifestyle and improving on that, if that is the ultimate goal of your life, well then, Jesus makes it clear in his word, whatever else it is that you're doing, you're not really worshiping him at all. And yet, he also died for hypocrites. Jesus shed his blood for Caiaphas, and for the sins of your own sometimes hypocritical heart. We often fail to put him first as the greatest priority of our heart and mind and life, but Jesus put you first, your salvation, ahead of his own well-being. He testified that he was the Messiah. He answered that question of Caiaphas truthfully, even though he knew what it would cost him, even though he knew it would mean suffering untold tortures and finally giving up his life, and yet he confessed the truth because he loved you, and because he loved his Heavenly Father. God only knows if Caiaphas ever repented of his hypocrisy before his remains were put into that carved bone box. Either way, it's too late for him. But it's not too late for sinners on earth. Listen to the words of Jesus. He said that he was the Messiah, and those words from his mouth were no sham. They were no words of hypocrisy. But he proved over and over again that that's truly who he was, proving it by his words and his teaching, proving it by his miracles, proving it most of all ultimately by his resurrection from the dead. And if he is the Christ, if he is the Messiah, that means he is a savior for sinners, someone who has the power to save and transform even hypocrites, the power to rescue even you and even me. Let your worship of Jesus always be from the heart. Pray that that he will forgive you and trust that he does forgive you from every act of hypocrisy in your life and in your worship. Pray that he will send you his Holy Spirit to, to guard and watch over your heart so that you are willing to put him first, so that you are willing to testify to the truth. He is a merciful and a faithful Savior, and He will do it. Amen. Please stand. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and your minds in the one true faith in Jesus as your Savior. Amen.